This is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning. Uh, as Rich said, my name is Matty. Um, I've been part of this church for basically as long as I can remember. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to be here this morning. I'm really privileged to be given the opportunity to speak. Um, and so I'm going to be doing the, we're going to be continuing our series looking at the Lord's Prayer, which should come up on the screen. Stephen. There we go. <laughs> Wonderful. Which says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so tonight, to this morning, I'm going to be focusing on the final line of that prayer, which is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. To start with, I want to talk a little bit about my, my story so you can see where I'm coming from. And as I'm speaking to you, you can know the position that I'm in where I'm coming to, to speak about this. I've grown up in church, um, and I've, if I'm honest, I've never known a time where I haven't been friends with Jesus. I've never known a time where I haven't called him my Lord. Um, I don't remember. I think I was like seven-ish. Joe Hearn uh, in kids' work led me and did that prayer. Um, and I'm so grateful that that's my story. You know, I've grown up in church with an amazing church family. I've grown up with my parents who are together, which is a rarity for people in my generation. My parents are together and love each other, and they are wonderful. My dad is generous and serving, and my mum is caring and honest and wise, and I'm so grateful that that's my story. So I'm coming from a position where I've not been... Through, I'm going to be talking about trials and temptations, um, and I've been coming from a position where I've not faced these horrible things that I know lots of people here have and other people around the world definitely have. So I want to humbly admit that's where I'm coming from, but know that Jesus has been through these trials for us, and Jesus speaks through his Bible and his word, and that's what I'm going to be speaking on today. So the format for this talk, first I'm going to define what we're actually talking about when we say lead us not into temptation. Then I'm going to look at why we're tempted, and finally why we pray this line of the prayer. So as we start, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Does God lead us into temptation? To save any kind of miscommunication, any misunderstanding, God does not tempt us. James 1 verse 13 to 15 says, And remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give rise to sinful actions. So God's leading is best understood in the sense of his allowing. Since God does not tempt us, he uses the circumstances we're in or calls us to situations where temptation may happen and allow that temptation to happen. God's leading us into temptation does not in any way tie him to the temptation itself or to any sin that it produces. Charles Spurgeon, who was a Baptist preacher in London Baptists or a branch of Protestants, uh, he said in a sermon in 1863, by these trials hypocrites fall for being discovered in the hour of temptation, just as the rough March wind sweeps through the forest and finding out the rotten boughs snaps them from the tree, the fault not being in the wind, but in the decayed branch. God's allowing us and leading us into temptation does not and cannot in any way tie him to the temptation itself or any sin that it produces. So if God is not tempting us, who is doing the tempting if not him? There are three sources of temptation that we can face. The flesh, the world, and the devil. The flesh is our fallen nature. These are our, quote, natural disaster, uh, desires for things that aren't good. These are fear that stop us bringing the kingdom of God. These are things like jealousy and gluttony and lust and pride. These are our internal desires. The second is the world and all of the things that the world can offer, wealth and power and pleasure. These things are good and desirable on their own, but can easily be put before God and don't fully satisfy us on their own. 
And the third is the devil. Satan is a more personal temptation. He works through the flesh and the world, but he can be more direct as well. Jesus calls him a liar and the father of lies, and Revelation calls him the accuser. Satan is the one who will question you. Did God really say? Satan is the one who accuses you. You are not good enough. You know that God cannot love you for that. But being more personal, he's going to target your weaknesses. And we've all got different weaknesses, but he will target those. And he has had thousands of years and generations of Christians that he has practiced with, and he is very good at what he does. But thank God our God is bigger than him. This is an important distinction that we have to make, that God does lead us into temptation, like the Holy Spirit leading Jesus in the wilderness, knowing fully the temptations that would happen there. But God is certainly not the tempter and cannot be to blame for any sin that comes from the trial. So, why would God lead us into temptation? From this prayer, we can see that clearly God is in control over whether we are tempted or not, lead us not into temptation. But it still remains up to us as to how we respond to the temptation. This means that all, tri- all temptation is a trial allowed by God. And therefore, all the trials we face must have a God-given purpose for good. An important thing to note that since God is ultimately in control, he will not let us be tested more than we can handle. These temptations are not allowed to set us up for failure because that's just not what God is like. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, You have never been tempted in, in, to sin in any different way than other people. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted more than you can take. But when you are tempted, he will make a way for you to keep from falling into sin. Now this means we can't excuse ourselves from sin. We can't say, you know, I just couldn't take it because if that was the case, God wouldn't have let you been there in the first place. God tests us for our refinement, not for our destruction. He calls us into battle, not to be wounded and killed, but to claim glorious victories for him and to ready us for future victories. After coming through temptation and fighting it off, our character and our faith is stronger as a result. So if temptation leads to our benefit, why do we not pray, lead us into temptation? To throw it out there, I'm not a fan of temptation. Um, I've just been talking about all the amazing benefits. Um, and I want to build my faith and character. I want to win battles that God has put before me for his glory. I want to be all that God has called me to be. So why does Jesus, pre- uh, why does Jesus teach us to pray not to be tested? The problem with a test is that there are two results. You can pass, hallelujah, or you can fail. And I know that I fail a lot. There are temptations that I'm good at resisting, as we all have. For me, I'm good at resisting things like greed and gluttony and doubting my identity in Christ, but there are these things I can refute all day. But there are things that I'm, temptations that I'm bad at resisting. For me, things like pride and comparison and jealousy. So I pray, Lord, lead me not into those temptations. When I did impact, as, uh, as Dan did a few years ago, which I didn't even know, so that's cool. When I did impact... Um, uh, which is a gap year serving the church. So you're volunteering for the church for a year and doing some theology and church studies alongside it. There was someone else on my course called Elizabeth. And she, um, she was putting together a spreadsheet of all the people in the church and all the groups in the church so we could see who was doing their safeguard, who had done their safeguarding training and who needed to do it, which is a really good thing to do. Um, so she was putting into the spreadsheet all the people in the church on the left, all the groups of the church at the top, and for every group that a person did, she'd fill it in with a black box. And so as she finished this sheet, I went to have a look at the screen, and she turned the laptop away from me. She, I'd grown up with her, and we were really good friends, and she knew me well. Not as well as God knows me, but knew me well enough. She turned the screen away from me and said, Matty, it wouldn't be good for you to look at the screen. And she was right. 
because I know that I could have looked at the screen and gone, isn't, I didn't know that person serves in that group. That's really cool. Or look how many people we can reach and serve as a community through all of this and how amazing it is that so many people are trained to look after our vulnerable people in the church and our young people in the church. But realistically, there was two ways that was going to go. One is I would look at everyone else on that list and the number of boxes they have and jealously compare myself to see I should have got more boxes than them. Or number two is I'd scroll to the top to Andrews, look at my name and think proudly, look at the number of boxes I have. <laughs> and so this is, what I, this is what I think. She turned the screen away from me so I didn't even have the chance to fall into that temptation. And that's what I think, and this is what I see when I pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer reminds me of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he is praying f- fervently, because he has facing the painful crucifixion, painful death on the cross. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knows that what's coming is going to be awful and would, if there was any other way, not have gone through with it. But he trusts the Father's will and submits himself to it. We know that our temptations are going to be bad and mean that we can fall to sin. So we pray to our Father, Father, if there's any other way, we can avoid it. But we too submit to his will. We too... Um, so your will, not mine, and we pray that his grace and his strength will bring us through it to overcome whatever temptations he has allowed us to face. And we pray that he will deliver us from evil. There are lots of different circumstances we might find ourselves in, full of temptation, circumstances we might be in now or have been through or that we are certainly going to go through. One of these is poverty. There are people in our community Uh, in our church or in our wider community who don't have enough, where praying for our daily bread literally means praying day to day for the food that they need. Now sometimes when I work in a shop at the moment, uh, and sometimes I'll be giving change to a customer, so I'll open the till, I'll get a £10 note out, and I think just how easy it would be to take two £10 notes out, drop one down the side of the till, hand them their change, and we're done. I do the cashing up at the end of the day, so I'm like, I could easily just drop that, Fill all the books so it all matches up. No one would find out for weeks, and by that point, we'll just chalk it up to a mistake. And so for me, that temptation of, of stealing is a fleeting mind exercise as to whether I could get away with it or not. But I know that if I, know that if I needed that £10, if that was the money I needed to pay for food that week and I was hungry, if that £10 was the money I needed to buy antibiotics for a painful infection, or if I had uh, rent that was due that month and I needed that extra bit of money to pay for it, or if I had children and that was the money I needed to provide for them, I wouldn't so easily be able to resist that temptation. I'd like to think that I would. Of course I'd like to think that I would, but I don't know that I would. And with COVID coming around and putting people out of jobs, and businesses overnight, and with the cost of living crisis coming in, the fuel and electricity and gas all increasing, we need to be aware that this could be a very real situation for us if it isn't already. And so we pray for ourselves, and we pray for our church, and lead us not into temptation. But if you have, or if that you do, then deliver us from evil. And there are new members of our community who we must recognize also have faced incredible hardship. The Ukrainians with us now have, and thousands of others like them, have lost almost everything, their family, their belongings, and their home. How easy it must be to question the morality of God where righteous people are allowed to suffer. I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to be in the same situation and come to church on a Sunday and sing praise and worship to our Father who has allowed that tragedy to happen. How easy it must be to blame him. I'd like to think that I would throw myself on his peace and grace, that I would recognize that his will is so much greater than I can even begin to comprehend, but to kneel before him 
and pray to deliver me from evil, but I don't know that I would. And so we pray solemnly, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Another circumstance we can face is persecution. There are members of our church right now who have put their life on the line to tell people about Jesus, who have been threatened for their faith, who have to burn Christian books to stop them being discovered in countries where they're illegal to own. For thousands and thousands of generations of Christians throughout history, they have been killed for professing their faith in Christ. We read in the book of Acts 7, uh, the story of Stephen, who as far as we have recorded was the first martyr, the first person to die for his faith. I'd like to think that my faith is strong, that I would stand up with a gun to my head and profess that Jesus is my Lord, and I'm not going to fear man more than I fear God. But I know that I'm weak, and I might, like Peter did, deny Jesus and say, I do not know the man. Me, a Christian, now you've got the wrong guy. And so we pray, lead us not into that temptation, but deliver us from evil. But not all persecution is the same. Some, it's not always a death threat for lots of us. It will come in the form of mocking. Uh, when I'm at work, I'm normally the only Christian, and I'm very open about what I believe, and it inevitably leads to discussions about what I do with, you know, what I do with my money, what I do with my time, what I believe as part of my faith. And inevitably, I get a lot of questions like, you really believe that? You see, you, well, you see how ridiculous that is, right? And when we're talking about the, like the history of the Bible, what you think... You know, just because someone wrote it down a while ago and other people started following that story, that now you think that that's true. Now, the people I work with don't really care what I believe. For them, it's just poking fun for the sake of poking fun. In fact, some of them are actually very uh, admire the conviction of my faith that I have. Even yesterday, uh, my boss was saying, you know, I, I admire the fact that you believe what you believe. I think it's rubbish, but I admire the fact that you believe what you believe. These things don't have real venom behind what they're saying, but there are workplaces where there is, where they do throw knives with real venom behind what they want to say, where they have genuine hate for what we believe. Or perhaps you're in a, in a marriage where your, your husband or wife isn't a Christian, and so coming to church every Sunday is a battle to try and justify coming, where giving money at the end of the month to the church is a battle to justify. It's a real and relentless temptation to fear God more than to fear, no, to fear man, more than to fear God. And so we pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. On a slightly different note, prosperity or wealth is its own set of temptations. Mark 10, 17 to 23 says, As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, commit adultery, steal, testify falsely, cheat anyone, and to honor your mother and father. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And then you will have treasures in heaven. And then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, for he had many possessions. He walked away from Jesus sad, because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. God blesses some people with wealth as he chooses, but Jesus was making a clear point about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. Like poverty, prosperity has its own set of temptations. And I know with my weaknesses to comparison and to vanity, it would and it does cause me a lot of trouble. 
I have access to a car, which I'm so grateful for. It is a, it is a Chevrolet Matisse. She has got three cylinders, not four, save on spark plugs. 0.7 litre engine, not 1.7, 0.7 litre engine, and we'll do 0 to 60 in about as long as it takes to need to leave the motorway. <laughs> Technically speaking, she's also my mum's car and not <laughs> mine. Now, I know if I had loads of money, I would probably buy the most ridiculous car that I could get my hands on. Not because I like and appreciate cars, but because I want to own a flashy car so that people could see my flashy car. And so my money is a bottleneck that's stopping that temptation. All with prosperity, you get the temptation to trust wealth more than to trust God. Abby spoke uh, last week about give us today our daily bread. And I think it's very easy to forget that line when we've got a bank account readily available to buy it ourselves. Mohan, a couple of weeks ago, mentioned villages that he's been to where people work day to day for the food that they eat that day. And he said they are blessed because they have no worldly worries. This is the temptation that comes with wealth. And a temptation that most of us have to resist daily and probably one that we fail at often. Trusting God's provision and blessing for our daily bread rather than trusting our own bank. Which is God's provision and blessing in the first place. But we tend to forget that bit. And so we pray. And as, as the more wealth we acquire, the more prosperous we are by God's grace, the greater this temptation becomes. And so we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So to summarize, here is the quick version in four questions what I've been talking about. Does God tempt us? No. God does not tempt us. The, world, the flesh, the world, and the devil do. Does God allow us to be tempted? Yes. But he is in control and won't test us more than we can handle. Why does God test us? To build our faith and our character. God's tests are for our refinement, not for our destruction. And so why do we pray to be led not into temptation? Because we humbly recognize that we're weak. Temptation gives us the possibility of sinning. And we would rather avoid that, avoid that possibility entirely for the sake of not sinning against God. Yet, as we say earlier in the prayer, and as Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, we submit to God, saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. So if you want to stand and join me standing, we're just going to finish by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Remember, when we are coming before our Father who loves us, our Father who knows us, our Father who provides for us, Ironically, I think the Lord's Prayer often becomes an empty phrase that we just say to God. It's something we read just because we've learned to read it. But we want to have a personal relationship with God and mean what we're saying. And even more amazingly, God wants to have a personal relationship with us. And so instead, we pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.